The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Working Artist Project. My name is Gregory Ajid, and we're joined with uh, Mr. Darian Douglas on the other line. How are you doing, Darian? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited because we went we went through it to get this interview, man. Riley is super famous, and and uh, then the the universe was like, yeah, we don't want y'all to, to we don't want you to have this awesome dude on. Today. Let let me just tell you, this is going to be the best interview ever. Riley, what's up? Cats. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we made it. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I mean, the pressure, you, you put the pressure on us now, but we have been through so much to get to this point. <laughs> we really to, have. <laughs> just to be here and see the two of you. <laughs> this, this, is, this is a very special evening. I have to say, we, we've been doing this for maybe six or seven weeks now, post uh, you know COVID times. And mm-hmm. this is the, uh, we've spent almost two full evenings with you <laughs> trying to work out the technology on this podcast. And so I will say this might be a really loose hang tonight. <laughs> but I have to say, okay, let's just think about, let's think about, you know, we were trying to do interfaces and linking the streaming and all that stuff. But still, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, you guys, New Orleans, and we are still being able to see each other, converse real time just that technology is enough to be grateful for right now that's crazy i wouldn't know how to do that i'm in new jersey so we're all over new jersey yeah so there you go that that is pretty incredible when you when you put that in context yeah we're very very grateful and very fortunate to have this technology with us today that's right now i want to open things up and just kind of giving a a, a brief background of who Riley is and why he is. But for those of you listening to the podcast, he looked pretty shocked, but uh, go ahead, man. Play it on us. Okay. Uh, who am I? I was born in Seattle at Swedish Hospital. I'll go all the way back. <laughs> um, now I'm a trumpet player. I'm in a group called the Westerlies. Um, I do a lot of touring with other folks. Um I love to present music. So Darian, we last saw each other in person at the um, Joy and Aiken Festival where I'm artistic director of jazz. I just finished working on the festival of new trumpet music, which I curate with Dave Douglas in the fall. Um, the Westerlies have a festival out in Seattle called Westerlies Fest. Uh, so I do a lot of playing, a lot of recording, a lot of presenting, and I like I like to do some teaching as well you know getting into schools working with kids all that good stuff your band the westerlies i man, i want to listen to the song you say it was optional but i do want to to that to that that is i don't know is it a fugue what is that well the one i sent you i think was a nearer sun yeah which is sort of a chorale um and that's a piece that we've been playing for a long long time we started, we used to start every concert with that piece. And then 
we were on the road with a band called Fleet Foxes, and we used to start the Fleet Foxes show with that piece. So it's just sort of been like a meditative chorale for us to like get in the zone. It's kind of your theme song. It was it was a sort of a theme song for a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because when you're in a band and we have a theme song, you end up playing it for years, <laughs> eight, ten, twenty years, and, and everybody in the band hates it, but everyone in the audience they love it. And so I feel bad because I love it, so we're gonna listen to it later. But <laughs> I know I'm honored honored that you love it. Could you imagine sure. being so fortunate to be able to play a song every night and have everyone be excited to hear it? <laughs> I know. And then know everyone behind you in the band is like, I hate this song. <laughs> it's the dream. Ryan, you gotta tell me, you've been there before. You know what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. I do know what you're saying. But if it's your own piece, other people can hate it, but they just have to put up with it. <laughs> if it's your piece, you get paid double, so it's all good. <laughs> Man, can you can we can we get into how how you the West I, I just found it the Westleys is a nonprofit, right? Yeah. Oh wow, you were you were doing your research. Yeah. So can you, can we kind of get into that? Because why did you even make it a nonprofit, and, and what, what's the what is that function? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. So we we formed when we were in college. Two of us were at Juilliard. Two of us were at Manhattan School of Music. We were all from Seattle, and um, for a while we were just getting together, playing music, writing music, arranging music, playing some shows. Eventually, we made a record. The record honestly just did a lot better than we expected because it's such an unconventional type of group. We weren't really sure where it was going to go. Um, and then we were looking at how do we, how do we keep this thing going? I was finishing up school at Juilliard and um, they hipped me to the fact that a lot of uh, chamber music ensembles that we look up to are actually incorporated as 501c3s. Um, so groups like Roomful of Teeth, um, The Knights, uh, I think So Percussion. Um, there are a lot of great working groups that operate in a nonprofit structure just because if you're not making commercial music and you want to, say, throw a festival or uh, get support to go into schools um, or even just like take on big recording projects and commission new music, it it takes more than concert fees and streaming revenues. So being a nonprofit allows us to have cultivated donor base, um, sort of like, you know, an extended Kickstarter or Patreon, something like that. People who are invested in this music, as well as all the normal activities of a band. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we get that because Greg and I started a nonprofit also, Second Line Arts Collective. Right. Amen. Second Line Arts Collective powers this podcast. For, for many of the same reasons, you know what I mean? People are more likely to support you when you have that nonprofit status. So mm -hmm. go out and what, what's the the link that they can get so that they can go give you some money? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you add, we're actually doing a fundraiser right now, but uh, just on our website, or you can look us up on social media, the Westerlies, westerliesmusic.com. Uh, and we've got all the information there. Okay, cool. So y'all go out there and, and donate all your money to the West. No, split it 50-50 with Second Line Arts Collective. Well, yeah, give us all your money too. <laughs> yeah, that's what's up, man. I, I wanna I think now may be a good time to kind of play that song and uh let the people hear. The theme song. A nearer song. Yep. Yeah. 
the crazy part about that, it ends right there. And every time I'm waiting for the next phrase. <laughs> like I've listened to it 30 times. Every time, even now, I'm like, oh shit, man, it's I'm not ready for it to be over, man. Wow. Uh, you gotta leave them wanting more. That's that's rule number one, Darian. Leave <laughs> them was, wanting more. <laughs> that was that was especially beautiful. Um Thank you, Craig. Yo, Riley, what, 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 like your background in trumpet playing, are you, uh, do you have like a, a classical background or how, how did you come to this point trumpet wise? You know, my background was really jazz music from the beginning. Um, as soon as I got a trumpet, I went out to the hardware store and got a plunger, you know, so I was always oriented that way. But then, you know, as I got older in high school, I got really into classical music playing and, um, orchestra at my school, youth symphony in Seattle, um, playing, you know, small brass quintets, uh, trumpet solos, things like that. Um, and I miss it, you know, I moved to New York after high school, I was studying jazz over at Juilliard. And ever since then, most of my life is more, you know, in the jazz world, but the Westerlies, we get to step into the world of chamber music now and then and work with some composers, who are, I don't want to call them classical composers, but like uh, maybe more more in that world than in the jazz world per se. Totally. Uh, so nice little balance of both things. Wow. I, I don't know. I just got to keep, I, I could listen to that song again, man. Yeah, it's such a beautiful song. And and, and your trumpet playing is, is really is really gorgeous, man. I have to say you have a beautiful tone, great control, and, and like a lot of flexibility in your sound too. So I can... You know, just just in hearing that, there's there's a lot of history in that playing. Thanks, y'all. Thank Appreciate it very much. Composing a piece like that, or are you guys doing it as a collective, or how how is it working with, with the music uh, of the West? Yeah, so we all write music, we all arrange music. Um, we're very much a democracy in terms of how we work. So anyone can write something and bring it in, and we'll read it. Um, and then when we read it, we can all weigh in with thoughts and ideas. We have a rule that anyone who has an idea, we have to try it. Oh, even cool. if it's a terrible idea, we had like, if, <laughs> you know, if, if we're playing that piece and someone's like, let's do it double time and swing it. <laughs> we'll like, okay. We have to try it. But then like whoever the original composer is gets gets to make the decisions after that point but every piece goes through a workshop process for sure and, and sometimes that process is like a week long and other times it's, it's literally like four years long and then it you know we'll come back to something and it's totally different oh that's so cool yeah man i, I want to talk also about your your community activism and or, and like how does that merge into what you're doing uh with the wesley's and beyond and all the other programs you're working with. Yeah, I mean, I I don't, I'm not sure I know what to say exactly, except for, I mean, in a way, I think if you're playing music, that is community action in and of itself, right? Um, the arts and music is such an important part of what holds us together in terms of our identities and in terms of our collective imagination. Um, so I think creating art in and of itself is an act of, you know, community activism. But on top of that, there are wonderful ways in which you can 
use the arts to bring people together or to point people in a direction towards a specific action. So, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I'm a total beginner at this, but trying to find creative ways to gather people to, to help uh, organize so that collective action can be taken. Uh, coming up actually on Thursday of this week, we have the, the sixth and final uh, episode of what the Westerlies called Brassroots Activism, cool. which is a once a month concert where we curate a concert. People hop on a Zoom call or they watch on Facebook. Um, and they're guest artists who play short live solo sets. And meanwhile, we, we partnered with a civic action group based in Seattle and they give everyone a task for that meeting. So maybe everyone, you know, back in May and June, we were all advocating for uh, funding and support for mail-in ballot systems um, in a few particular states. So we were writing senators, we were writing secretaries of state, we were writing uh, election heads in different offices around the country and, you know, getting together 50 people to bomb someone's inbox at the same time um, or, or hitting up their voicemails, you know, getting used to calling representatives, things like that. So that's one thing that we've been doing. Um, and then I think, you know, I mentioned these music festivals. I think the idea of a festival is such a beautiful way of getting a community active around uh, around something. So whenever, like, whenever we do Westerlies Fest, uh, in addition to the concerts, there's usually education. Uh, we'll usually bring our friends. You know, we had our friends from the same organization there to sign people up to volunteer, you know, just trying to make the most of it so that we can have the most impact. Absolutely. That's yeah, man, I was, I was stalking your page and I, and I came across this song um, entitled tear the fascist down. You got to do it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's always been in our music to, to uh, normal to make a statement and a strong statement like that through the music. But that's that's pretty. Uh, which fascist are you tearing down here, Riley? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> All these authoritarian right wing, overly nationalistic, patriotic, wherever it is. Um, but that's actually an old Woody Guthrie song. Ah. So we dug that up and uh, oh, awesome. arranged it. It's on a new record the Westerlies have coming out with vocalist Theo Bluckman. So that tune, you know, for me, it's like, okay, I'm like, oh, this guy is seriously into making poli strong political statements. And like, I mean, am I wrong in, in that assumption? Because I mean, I do have, I do have strong political views, I think, but it's also like we're at this point where if you believe family should not be separated, all of a sudden that's a strong political statement. You know, it's like yeah. if you believe that there should be public health in this country, now that's a strong political statement, you know? We live in the upside down, man. Like it's it's amazing how much things have changed in the last couple of years. I mean, or at least things have been magnified. I don't know if they've necessarily right. changed, but uh, you, but this, this reminds me of this thing that Ellis has told me, and maybe I've told you this before, Greg. You know, I, I, for some reason, I always end up talking about Ellis on the podcast. But we were talking about music, and and at the time, this was like I don't know, two thousand and ten or something. We were talking about the music in New York versus the music in in New Orleans, and he was like, man, you know, everything in life swings on a pendulum mm. so he's like you know maybe at this point everybody wants to swing play swing music but at this point 
everybody wants to play straight music. And he was like, the same thing happens in politics, in American culture. So right now, in this time, everyone's like, no, no one deserves health care. Even if I have cancer and I'm poor, I don't deserve it. And that's the crazy part about American culture, in my opinion, right now. You know, so let's let's tear those folks down too. You got a song for that? <laughs> I'll sign off. I'll get to writing. <laughs> but I appreciate, man. You know, like again, I think when when it comes to making political statements and things like that, like it's like I think what what Riley, not not that you were like outright making a political statement, but in like the little things that we do, like community organization, creating festivals, putting out good music and things like that, and, and essentially providing opportunities for ourselves and the community. I think that's probably like the, in my opinion, the most positive and immediate way to impact where we live and, um, you know, the things that are happening. Sometimes we can't control what's happening over all the way at the top, but, but I appreciate like, you know, bringing good music to the people, creating you know, keeping compositions coming and uh, really embracing creativity and creating opportunities for young people to be exposed to that. And I, I really appreciate that you, you've taken that initiative to uh, to do that for the community, Riley. Amen. I mean, like you said, there's so many ways to do it, and it's all it's all valid, and it's all you know, we're all we're all in it together in that way. Because that stuff is killing. Like I remember going to going to things like that as a kid, and like that's definitely why I am doing what I'm doing today and I'm sure both you all have experiences that you know you went to your parents took you somewhere one Saturday afternoon you were like this is cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm curious Riley like in a world that seems to be so divided and being a great unifier like you are how how do you how do we bring that energy of unification even if we disagree you know what i mean like i'm sure you've been on facebook and you disagree like we, even yesterday you said you don't like pop tarts <laughs> and, you know the thing is how do we disagree but also- i did not say oh. i don't like pop tarts <laughs> i said it is dangerous misinformation for you to be on facebook mm. posting that pop tarts without frosting a can even still be called pop tarts, let alone be are better than frosted pop tarts. Wait, I'm sorry. Is this what we were arguing about? I'm on Darius' side on this, just for the record. <laughs> You're an unfrosted pop tart man. No, you can't. No, you can't eat unfrosted pop tarts. What's wrong with that? Oh no. <laughs> oh, then you're on my side. Oh, I'm on your side. Yeah. yeah. Crazy man. Anyway, we can talk about this later, man. No, this so, isn't. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know how to unify these sides. You know, like, you know, there's got to be a way, man, because we, we can't we have to find a way to disagree respectfully. You know, I, right. I, I mean, yeah, it's that balance of like, you know, there are things you can we can disagree and and how we see things based on our own experiences and our own perspective. And I think the the value of listening just in the same way that we're trained to in jazz music, you know, the value of knowing when it's not your turn to play and it's your turn to listen is a really valuable uh, thing or a thing to keep in mind and to remind ourselves mm-hmm. when we're, you know, engaging in this conversation. At the same time, I've, I've sort of felt more and more steadfast and there are some things that are non-negotiable, you know, like child separation or, uh, you know, the police brutality 
like whether black lives matter that's not that's not a negotiable thing you know um i'll you know i'll, I'll hear someone's story and i'll be happy to talk with them and, and try to engage in listening but there are some things that are just like so fundamental so i i don't have any answers but that's what i think about you know like how do you how do you negotiate those types of things i guess you can always listen to what someone has to say you don't have to in any way agree with what they're saying but i guess the art of listening is being able to sit there and receive what's happening um um, Mr. Baptiste, my teacher, used to always he used to always say it's like <laughs> when other people are playing in class, you know, listen, listen, and like when you hear something you like, try and figure out what it is, and if you hear something you don't like, don't play it. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's like all the best lessons actually come from the good music teachers and come from the music. It's true. But then they're like they're like ridiculously simple, but like profound in in a, in a really deep way where it's like. Sometimes we just have to listen to figure out what we don't like, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a good topic because, man, we both, all three of us come from what is called institutionalized music, you know, just, just because we didn't learn music on the streets because we grew up in a certain age. Like, and you studied at Juilliard. Mm-hmm. Was it worth it? A hard question. <laughs> that is a tough, that's a very political question. <laughs> no, I mean, mm. it, my short answer is it was worth it for me um, for a number of reasons. The community I had there, the other students, you know, um, some of the teachers who really became mentors of mine, the support of the institution as a whole and Lincoln Center in general. Um, so it was, you know, it was huge for me getting to be there, um, and, and going to New York with the support of a place like Juilliard rather than, you know, being on my own. So that was huge. Uh, no, the question of what happens to the music when it becomes institutionalized, as you say, that's another, that's another conversation. I think, you know, both things can be true, but it is a, you know, you're not going to get everything in the classroom. Right. And anyone will tell you that, you know, teachers at Juilliard would have told you that too, yeah. but you got to figure out how to get the full education. Before we like totally jump into that, what, 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 like leaving Juilliard, what, what was your biggest challenge kind of like stepping into the scene as a young musician? And, um, yeah, like how, how did uh, that, that, that institution prepare you for life in the real world? I think the biggest challenge for me was just not being not being organized in the way of like now I'm out of the school now I don't have any gigs mm-hmm. and maybe I'm going to make like $200 in one month <laughs> and you know I, I remember like those first two months I just sort of like went into them and I didn't think about, I was just like, I'd been living in New York for actually five years at that time. Things were cool. I had a lot of friends. I was playing music a lot in school. I wasn't being paid. I didn't have many gigs. So I got out of school and it was like, oh, I have a break. You know, this is great. No school, a couple gigs, one pays $50, another one pays $75. All of a sudden a couple of months go by, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> This isn't going to work. 
<laughs> so I think that probably happens to everyone in some form. Yeah. But it definitely was a wake up call. Like, oh wait, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure out, you know, where, what are my income streams? Mm-hmm. What are the gigs? And then I would have a gig, and I wouldn't have even prepared for it because I lost the structure of school. You know what I mean? In school, I had structure, so I was like organized and on top of things. In a professional world, it was like show up to rehearsals. Like, oh wait, I didn't really learn. I didn't really check out this music because I didn't have it in class. You know, so yeah. so finding my own ways to, um, you know, always be on top of the ball in that way, and and set up my own structures and set up my own. Uh, set up my own gigs, really. That definitely happens to every, I think it just happens to everyone who gets out of college. Yeah. You, know? you go your whole life, you're like, do this, do this, do this. Like, mm-hmm. You're free. It's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I'm out, of, I'm out of school. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm relieved to, you ha- to, to hear that you had that challenge leaving a school like Juilliard. <laughs> <laughs> makes me feel makes me feel a little more comfortable having the same same obstacles not going to Juilliard. Um, oh, I mean, yeah, and I think, <laughs> I mean, Juilliard has such a. Well, I don't. What is the word? I don't want. I don't mean reputation. I just mean prestige, so much. Uh, man, that's well. Uh, I was thinking of like. Um, <laughs> there's just a lot. There's a lot that comes along with that name, for better and for worse. Yeah. Um, but, but I see it today, you know, folks who are at Juilliard now or folks who are at any school now, you can tell like, oh man, you're going to struggle a little bit when you get out of here because the rest of the world is not like the environment that's going on in this program. Totally. And then there are also students that you see and you're like, you're going to be cool because you understand that even if you're the star of this ensemble in your program, that doesn't mean... You know, you have a humility about you and you don't think that you're the star of the whole scene in the city just because your teacher likes you and you're ensemble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Matt, what do you think happens in this new this new world that we're in? You know, this post-COVID world. You know, think about the kids who are coming out of Juilliard in the next year or this year. What 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 do you think their plans should be if they're listening to this podcast right now? What what kind of advice would you give those Honestly, I mean, the first thing I actually think is that they're going to figure out some stuff that we haven't, you know, and they're going to be giving us advice because there's a lot. I think the people who are in it the most, like the folks who are doing their last year of school over Zoom, uh, I think they might figure out some things that weren't so attached to how we were doing business as usual mm-hmm. and we're struggling with a million things trying to figure out how to sustain a life that we had before this so they might actually figure out some stuff in terms of building a life that exists in the climate now that i'm actually going to be asking them for advice you know what i mean i, I think about this a lot because I, I think about it in terms of uh, blockbuster you remember blockbuster mm-hmm. well, i remember when netflix came out and Kids, you probably don't notice, but you had to get a, a disc in the mail. And oh, I used to get all the DVDs in the mail. But Blockbuster still at at they still got the store. Netflix is like, nah, this this is a future. So I'm like, I don't want to be Blockbuster, you know. <laughs> like I don't want to. I want to be Netflix, and so we we have to be malleable and, and ready for this change, you know. Like like what you're doing with the Westerlies, um, playing 
completely synced together across the country through technology. Like that's amazing, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen anyone else do that, but you, I mean, you want to touch on that a bit? Sure. I mean, you know, COVID hit and we were all spread out. So we couldn't get together in the same room because of geography and because of safety. Um, and, and really all credit goes to our trombone player, Andy Clausen. He's real good with recording and he set to it and he was like, let me see what's possible. And step one was literally us playing over zoom. And I think we all know how that goes. Um, <laughs> but that's where we started. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then we, it was just like trial and error, trial and error. And eventually he was like, okay, I'm going to separate the video from the audio. Um, so our audio was going in through logic through a plugin called audio movers. The video was going from zoom into OBS and he was compensating for all the latencies. He was monitoring different people, you know, cross wiring, all sorts of stuff, uh, mixing it as we were going. And then, uh, and then, you know, it took months, but we finally got it to a system where we can play a good deal of our music totally remotely in real time. And it's been awesome to get to do that and to share it with, you know, all of our audience online and interact with people in real time and even take requests. You know, it's, it's all that, you know, back and forth that is missing from COVID time. So it's been, you know, it's definitely, honestly, it feels like it's been even more for us than our audience in terms of how it's sustained us and kept our spirits up. Absolutely, man. And because that's the part that we miss playing at home is like that interaction you know, mm-hmm. last no, you see the guy, you go, what's up, man? Have a drink. Like you know, you get the hang, the hang part of it is the, the best part. You know, the I know. Like, I miss the hang. Yeah. I, man, why don't we listen to that, to that other song that you sent us? It's a video actually. And oh, sure. I can't, what's the name of this one? Oh, this is the, this is the fugue. So this is, this was one of my quarantine projects. Um, I was supposed to play this live in April at the Jazz and Lincoln Center Gala. And um, they canceled it, of course. And I had just had this song stuck in my head. And then I actually had COVID way back in March. And I didn't have it too bad, but I had a couple of days where I was really down and out. And that was before this gig was canceled, actually. So I was like in this messed up COVID brain space trying to transcribe this chart, <laughs> which was... You know, so I associate uh, this song with that time. Mm-hmm. So I, I called up all the players and we recorded it remotely. And then I pieced it together and did a little fun video editing with it too. So, but anyways, to answer your question, this is uh, Fugue on Bot Themes, which was a piece that the Dave Brubeck octet used to play. <laughs> Thank you. 
That was Kenley, man. Was that Jordan Pate? Yeah, it's Jordan. Okay, I was like, <laughs> yeah, you got some like hot shots in that video. You got a bunch of the who's who of like the young cats. Yeah. <laughs> Great musicians. Great musicians for sure. They're dealing with that piece too. It's not easy. Right. Shout That's out to the- Julian for playing the clarinet on that one. That's <laughs> not an easy part. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, that's killing. DJ well, Norris was on drum, no? Yep. Yeah, okay. Just make sure I recognize it. You had an effect on there. So. <laughs> yeah, TJ, who was also down in Aiken with us. Yeah. He's a great drummer, man. Great drummer. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super killing. Well, man, like, I mean, we are in unprecedented times. And I was just wondering, like, with, with all the change that's happened in your life, like, what, what, what's, like the, what does the future have in store for you? And um, where do you see yourself like in a year from now with with all these changes happening? Yeah, I mean, I've been taking it so day by day, week by week, at most month by month. It's so hard to imagine. Um, You know, I hope that a year from now we're back to playing concerts. So um, Westerlies will be out touring. You know, we, we were supposed to be touring our new album this year, about half of that tour got canceled, so we hope to be back out on the road. Uh, I'm going to be reviving an old show of mine from Jazzling and Center called Songs We Love, so we're hoping to take that show out on the road. Um, but then, you know, more broadly, I just I think I hope to be back in New York and, you know, in packed clubs and, you know, you know, pushed up against the wall, you know, in a room at 2 a.m. And Chris yeah, Pattershaw is playing piano at Mesro. And, you know, that's that's where I want to be. The dream, man. <laughs> Get off a gig. Yeah. And like Darian was saying earlier, have have the hang happen and have someone yeah. walk up and offer you a drink. <laughs> but I miss those. Tired nights. of pouring my own drinks, man. It's so depressing. <laughs> I'm tired of not drinking. <laughs> Which I think is a good thing. I'm That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how much we've had to adapt over the over these uh, these couple months, and it's I, I go through these moments where I'm like, okay, what was I doing last year? Okay, what am I doing now? Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> no, I just think if we get to the point where, and we probably will, you know, March fifteenth or whatever's going to come, and we'll still be doing. Oh, that's going to be so Zoom. weird. It's going to be weird. But, you know, anything can happen. Like, uh, you know, again, maybe like like I think Darian was saying earlier, it's like, you know, it's, it's important to stay in touch with the young generation. We are going through adverse times and and we're going to figure something out. And and we just have to be ready and, and able to adapt to the new, you know, this new reality that we have. And sometimes yeah. it's hard to let go of what happened. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, Riley, man, I'm curious, man, because you play the trumpet, man. So you're trying to act all humble and stuff. No trumpet players are not humble people. <laughs> <laughs> who, who are your Who are your trumpet heroes? Oh man, I mean, let's see. How should we go about this? I mean, it's Louis Armstrong first and foremost all the time. Um, and then let's see. I would say Bubber Miley, Rex Stewart, um, Frankie Newton, Fats Navarro, Miles, 
And then I would say if we fast forward a little bit, you know, Witten's been a big mentor and teacher of mine. Ron Miles is someone who's playing. It's just, that's it for me in terms of people playing right now. Uh, Roy. Um, and then, you know, friends of mine, like trumpet players I went to school with, folks like Alfonso Horn and uh, Gabe Ned and all, all my peers. Um, those are the folks that inspire me as well. But, you know, in the club, though, you're going to try to pipe them, right? <laughs> I wish I could. Man, Bruce Harris, Mike Rodriguez, Bria Scomberg, who you were playing with when, back in March. Um, yeah. Okay. All right, man. See, I like how you still pretend. See, if y'all don't know, man, trumpet players are like, like, you know, Russell Westbrook, he's a basketball player. Or like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. That's what the trumpet player is on the stand. See, you know, they, they want to murder everybody. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I think I think I think it's just overcompensating for how much the trumpet destroys our self-esteem because it's so hard. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't. I mean, I don't know if you can bring it there. I play clarinet. That's uh <laughs> at least Trumpet you is to... worse. No, there's no Oh uh, yeah. Oh that maybe it's an argument for another time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, the trumpet is like such a, a boisterous instrument too, I think, in in, in the history and the lineage of, of the instrument. Um and, and of course, there's plenty of subtlety. I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But, you know, here in New Orleans, it's just, it's um, the, the function of the instrument in the band, I think a lot of times lends into uh, people's personalities on the bandstand. And sometimes mm. there's a correlation. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> That's a very nice way of putting it. I hear you. <laughs> Man, I do want to give the people an opportunity to buy your music, though, because like you say, you guys are just, you guys are releasing a new record. If I'm, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, we just announced today a new record that's coming out in January. That's the one with Theo Blackman. Okay. Um, we have one that came out in February on Leap Day. Um, and that's what's going on for the Westerlies, yeah. Okay. And so they can they can buy those records directly on the Westerlies website, which they can just Google Westerlies. Bam. And, and it's the best. that's the best way to buy it, right? Yeah, that'll take you to Bandcamp, which is always the best way to support artists. Um, if you have Spotify or Apple Music, you can stream it as well. You know, I always, I always encourage if you're going to have the apps, you might as well also be streaming your friends to give them a couple cents here and there and help them out with the plays. But if you really want to support, Bandcamp is the way to go. So if you want to support Riley or anybody on this show, you need to buy it on Bandcamp first. And then don't ever play it. Play it on Spotify. And yeah, get those plays, baby. We get play, we get paid twice, you know. We need all the money. We need all of it. <laughs> we get to, get to eat lunch and dinner. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That's a little generous there. Oh, that is it's optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> An appetizer. I, I, I want to get into some controversy. Is that cool? Are you going to bring up Pop-Tarts again? No, man. We That's settled, man. That's what okay. we are. Settled, we agreed that. Un, unfrosted pop tarts are the best anyway <laughs> I, I i totally misunderstood that i can't believe you think that darian <laughs> <laughs> but man like you know i think about this a lot this word the word that we use to describe our music you know 
and it's jazz usually like all of the creators of our music never seem to like the word you know what what what's your stance on it and what do you think it should or shouldn't be called you know i actually i'm not very well informed in terms of how like how lewis armstrong referred to his own music or you know if if you look at look at the language and the context of the times i mean in the swing era jazz meant something else and swing was a different genre of music entirely and then when you got to the 40s bebop was one thing and the jazz was this other thing so i feel like it's constantly been shifting and you know i don't know i also don't know what how dizzy gillespie talked i'm trying to remember you know i've read his autobiography and stuff but i don't recall or like in notes and tones folks getting into the word call it like american classical music from that from dizzy's generation and stuff Mm -hmm. so i i I mean i i think it's all it's all fair game i i use the word jazz because that's how it was taught to me from my educators growing up in seattle and then in new york and the the fundamental values of this music that we refer to as jazz so often are values that I really try to champion. Um, and then there's a lot of music that is improvised music or that is creative music that I don't think is jazz that I also really love. And I love to play it. I love to write it. Um, and that's great too. So I feel like I'm not giving you a straight answer, but I, I feel like I'm not, I don't know. What do you think? I, man, I, I think we have some similarities where sometimes I call the music jazz because it's, that's just what I've been taught since I was a kid. But I think it's just American classical music. Or or I, I'm also cool with BAM, you know, Black American music. Or I'm cool with a lot of titles. Jazz doesn't really bother me, but it's like, well, I think I think that the music is too big for that word now, personally. You know, because because then you get into a fight. Well, if you're not playing it like this and it's not jazz and, you know, you like you hear people saying if it ain't swinging, it's not. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true, because especially in our generation, like think about it, the music we grew up listening to, you know, like I grew up listening to Tupac and mm-hmm. Ray J. Blige and Beyonce and then also Miles Davis. And so there's no way for me to play music without all that other stuff, you know, Limp Biscuit, and you know what I mean? <laughs> Food Fighters, all of that stuff is in here. So it's all coming out. So can I even play jazz versus a person like Louis Armstrong who was listening to a whole different set of melodies and rhythms? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm like, is it even fair for me to call it what they called it? Because this is something completely different. And I think that in itself is the spirit of me personally. Yeah, I like that. I mean, part of me... I feel like I don't spend a whole lot of time getting into the etymology and the word itself just because it's like, how much did Louis Armstrong care about the word versus care about the music? And I don't know. I could be wrong because I've read some of his books, but I, I haven't, you know, I'd have to call a Ricky Riccardi or someone who's, you know, really knows Louis Armstrong to talk about it. Uh, but I don't know. But I, I feel like it's always music first and the values of the music. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep thinking about this. I think I think that's like at some at some point, 
we have to defer, defer to our elders for advice on topics like this, because I think also like out of context, like kind of what both you all were saying, it's like, this is, a, this is a music and this is a history that goes far beyond the extent of our lives and our, our experiences too. And, you know, sometimes when you read things in history books, they get, they get watered down and people, um, you know, pe people become more pleasant than they actually were <laughs> when you read about them right. in a textbook. So I think, you know, for the sake of like conversation and remembering people's stories and remembering also that there's like a lot of hardship that that has um, that, that was part of the history of this music. And I think that's like we have to continue to have the conversation about BAM or what to call the music, not because not to actually find a name for it, but to remember that, you know, it wasn't just roses and daisies in 1920, and um, and th that you know that that's the it's the context and the history and how we got here. And so we have to we have to remember that. That's it right there. Couldn't agree more. You know, Man, I appreciate Nicholas for always you know making <laughs> us remember. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole another topic. Yeah. But uh, now we're coming to the end here, and as Greg knows, I say the same thing every week, but. I like to talk about spirituality and I'm hey. curious, I'm curious about your spirituality because I don't think that we can create without it. And I, I'm, I'm wondering where your happiness comes from. Where does my happiness come? I mean, I think in a musical context, it comes from other people it comes from you know the generosity of others and i think that probably translates to a broader context for that question as well you know it's like um community you know togetherness um that sort of That's sort of it for me. Um, and I think that's why I'm so drawn to jazz music because it is music that is so much part of a lineage and community-based music. But I, I'm not like a, I'm not a religious person. I don't uh, identify, I don't think of myself as a very spiritual person. Um, so it's interesting to, to think about it and to talk about it in that way because so much of the way I approach music comes from uh, sort of just like I, I, I learned how to play very much by ear and a lot of the way that I'm guided through music is, is very much by ear and just by like, I like this, so let me follow this. I like this, so let me follow this and, and seeing where things go. Um, and I, but I've never thought of my approach to music in a very um, spiritual way. So I don't know. How do, how do you think spirituality relates to the way you approach music? Well, I think that every person who's here is, is you just automatically spiritual. And so the, 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 the challenge that we have as, as humans in this vessel is to connect with that. And that has nothing to do with re religion because that's a whole nother thing that most of the time seems negative to me. So, so like, it's you not know, like when you're playing 
and, and you're in the zone and everything is firing your brain is off to me that's the center that's the spirit that's the spirituality mm -hmm. you hear everything the drummer's playing bam you're like oh i know you don't even have to think it just bam it's out and we're all doing that dance together you know like the whole band is on that vibe you know the same thing happens in a lot of area, other areas of life you know it could be dancing with your mom at a picnic and y'all not thinking and y'all just group like that's the spiritual element that that i like to identify with you know what i mean that's spirituality mm -hmm. that's yeah that's why i think we all we all got it and we all we all can recognize it and tap into it mm -hmm. i like that i'm gonna be thinking about that <laughs> C7, C7. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about when I'm dancing with my mom. C7, F7, C7. B flat 7, B7, C7. Dramatically approach the third now. Okay, cool. Man, look, before we get out of here, though, I do want to give you an opportunity to tell the people how to connect with you one more time, where to buy your records. And, and what you got going on and live streams, everything. Tell them all, everything about For it. For sure. Thank you, Darian. So um, on Thursday this week, we're doing our sixth and our final Brass Church Activism concert with the Westerlies. So you can um, go to our social media, Westerlies Music, and you can register for the event there. Uh, we just announced a new record. So all of our music is available on our website and on Bandcamp. You can also stream it on any platform you use. And then I'm on social media as well. You know, I got my own website and uh, working on new things that I'll be announcing over the coming months. So stay tuned. Yo, man, Riley, man, thank you so much for coming on the Working Artist Project. Basically. Thank you guys for what you do. It's wonderful to be here and I'm so proud of us. <laughs> did this. Yo, thank you so much, man. I know we 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 um we went through a lot of challenges to get this thing recorded, and so I appreciate your flexibility and uh, your kindness and just keeping a great spirit throughout all of this. And thank you so much, Riley. Absolutely, I'm Darius. My name is Gregory Ajid. We'll catch you all next time on the Working Artist Project. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help fund your child's dreams and ideas. But it's not just for college. It's also the trade school savings plan and the books and materials savings plan, even the room and board savings plan. With fewer educational expenses to think about, your kids can focus on what matters, their future. Start saving today to support your child's tomorrow. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. Lowe's has a brand new flooring showroom filled with all types of floors. Scratch-resistant floors for toddlers and their toys. Easy-to-clean carpets for canines. Stain-resistant floors for scrumptious suppers. Even floors for yogis finding out how flexible they are. There's floors for all. And they're all at Lowe's. Book now and have yours installed by the holidays. Install available in-store only. Holiday install applies to basic install and subject-to-date restrictions, installer, and product availability. See Lowe's.com for details and licensing. Contiguous U.S. only.